Hello and welcome to the IAUG Insider Podcast. My name is Matthew Nanas and I'm your host. This is the third episode of the Engage series and it features IAUG member Tyler Preter. He works at the University of Washington. We talk about how Tyler got into the telecom industry, his quick brush with going to school for mathematics and how that applies to telecom, his passion for stopping robocalls and spam and much more. Again, on this episode, I'm joined by Nick Kwiatkowski, and we have a great time having this conversation in a secluded hallway at this past year's Avaya Engage in Austin, Texas. Before we get into the episode, just a quick IAUG plug. Our professional development webinar series is still going strong. The next one is on February 22nd, titled Having Difficult Conversations, More Gain, Less Pain, and it's for IAUG members only. It starts at 9 a.m. Central Time, so make sure you check that out. If you're not a member, become one so you can have access to benefits like the professional development webinar series and more. Now on to the interview with Tyler Preter. Enjoy. All right, we are here with Tyler Preter from the University of Washington here at Avaya Engage. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, no problem. So uh, the first question is, uh, how many engages have you been to so far? What what number is this one? It's a good question. I was actually just talking to some people on my way here, and I was calculating them out. I was five or six. Been to Orlando, Denver, Dallas, Las Vegas, here, and I think I've been to Orlando twice. So. Yeah. So what what keeps you coming back? I actually really like the general sessions. I think one of the selling points to my manager that I have here is. It's kind of the best way that I can get the most out of Avaya, out of the equipment that we have. Mm -hmm. But we get to hear some of the really interesting presentations done across users, vendors, and Avaya themselves. So when you go to your boss, obviously you have success of going to your boss and justifying this this expense. What would you say? What would you say to someone who's having trouble with that? How 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 should they go about doing that? Yeah, I, I think probably the similar to what I had said before, though, is that selling point is that your ability to talk with and just uh, socialize with people in your industry, ask them, put out the problems that you're having, get responses back to what they're doing. Um, I think that's probably this conference is probably second to none in that realm. Um, I've done other conferences and they're not necessarily focused on one vendor right. uh, like this one is. And so you could go talk to somebody and find out they've got a completely different system than you do and aren't really able to help you with those issues. Or the education piece. You know, what's one thing I love about this conference here is everybody's willing to like share, you know, share knowledge, you know, we're really not in competition, we all want to help each other out, and that's pretty unique uh, from a lot of the types of conferences that are similar. Fully agree. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer it's only once a year at that, that point. But <laughs> I might have trouble just yeah, not justifying yeah, no, just like, it was more than once a year. <laughs> it's like summer camp, let's just leave it at that, yeah. guys, right? Awesome, so professional development is, is a hot topic among the community right now, and uh, obviously you've had a lot of experience, and so how and when did you find out that you wanted to be a part of this industry? You're talking about telephony in general? Well, no, just or like, just... you know, is it something that you realize as a, as a kid, like, oh, this is great, <laughs> or is it something later on? In, in My, your, I have a, actually kind of an interesting story of how I got into telephony. Mm -hmm. I don't know how interested it would be to other people, but <laughs> I was actually went to college to become a math teacher. Okay. I uh, was just about to be done. 
and realized, I don't know that I'm going to be a math teacher. Mm -hmm. And I was working at Safeway at the time, and there was this uh, older gentleman, of course, you know, to a 20-year-old, everyone's older. Um, but uh, I would see him every week, and so he came in and was actually taking a Microsoft cert. So he told me about a Cisco cert, so that's mm -hmm. what I did. I, went, I was going to go into networking, and I fell into a job at a bank um, mm -hmm. as a communications person that because they did both phones and data and had a guy... Uh, teach me voice from the ground up and uh, almost 20 years later I actually still working with him <laughs> in a different job but yeah. uh, you know we've over that 20 years have bounced around on and off so no I didn't even know this job existed didn't even think about it you know I was thinking well what are those red and green and black and yellow wires coming out of my house you know no mm -hmm. clue and so really that's where it came from do you feel like your your start in the math world kind of helped you along realize what you really wanted to do? Because you're talking about data, right? I mean, math is full of data. <laughs> I was fortunate that the guy that hired me had a vision at that time. You know, this was 1999. Mm -hmm. And he knew that data and voice were going to converge. Mm. And he, he saw that coming. And so I think um, it kind of helped me in that realm. Yeah. But uh, it's it's... It's very helpful having a data background with an understanding. Did my math? Uh, you know, all you young kids out there listening, having a bachelor's degree does help, even if it's not the <laughs> career that you're in. <laughs> right. Yeah, you never, you never know what can help you later on. Yeah, you really don't have yeah. an idea. And you really don't know where you're going to go because there's so many jobs out there that you didn't know existed, you know, because you're too young and inexperienced really to see it. And I bet if you ask Nick, he probably didn't think he was going to be here either. Uh, I, oh, for, hey, me, for me, telecom has actually been my, like, since I was young, like, telecom was there pretty much. Yeah. So Your lifelong passion. Something like that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's you know, it, it's gone many different directions, but it's pretty much ended up, you know, I've, I've been pretty consistent in the telecom world, which is yeah. very unique. You know, like, in, in my department, I... I think I'm the only person with a telecom degree, mm. which, you know, is, you know, so. So you actually went to school for telecom? I actually went to school for telecom, yes. All right. That was a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to me like the, the people that I've, I've been meeting, you know, th throughout my time is that th there are different, you know, c types of people. Uh, you know, for instance, Fletch, uh, he's really passionate about communicating or you know telecommunications you know so like that makes sense and then you come from a math a math background so it seems like this this industry can kind of suit a lot of different types of minds and, and interests do you, do you find that to be the case with the people that you meet or or not yeah, so much I find just that telephony in general is one of those things because it's not one that someone normally goes right. to go I mean I, I was being a little yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it is true. Like yeah. not many people go to school and I find a lot of people that I've worked with or come in behind a lot of those people where the guy standing in the corner was like, I guess I'll do telephony. No one else <laughs> wants it. Right. And um, so if you have a, an interest in a field that gives you so much breadth, right, data networking, I need to understand virtualization for running server platforms. I need to understand OS, both Linux, Windows, uh, application support. Like you, it's such a wide breadth of different skills that you need. 
uh, I think it calls to people because of that sometimes yeah. because you just have. And it's, I, I think it's also, there's a, it, it also takes, I, I hate to say, more of an extrovert uh, type of person as well. Somebody who loves to socialize and all that type of stuff because you're dealing with the phones. You're on the phone mm-hmm. all the time. And that's something that's a little bit different from a majority of the IT field. Right. Where you can hide in a closet all the time and just do whatever you do. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. I think that, yeah. uh, you know, networking guys, they sit behind, you know, typing in on their stuff and really don't necessarily engage out. Earlier on in my career, I was definitely out actually sitting at people's desks, you know, when modems and faxes and all those things wouldn't work, you know, you had to, you went out and engaged and I kind of liked the ability to go wander around. Mm-hmm. Um, my role now, I don't do that too much anymore. Yeah. Uh, I'm behind the scenes. Unfortunately, I'm not actually yeah. on the phone too much. I hear all the people, <laughs> the ops people behind me, you know, they're, they're chiming on the phone all the time, but, uh, it is, I like the variety that can come with it. I sometimes still go out and help with cuts because they need bodies and all place phones. And mm-hmm. it's good to still see, you know, what it, what you're doing at the end point. Right. And do you feel that helps you stay current with what the, what the needs are of who you're it gives you a, that different window into it than what you don't get. If I'm sitting at a desk or even if I'm coming to a show like this and you're hearing, you know, this is what they want. Sometimes when you go out and all of a sudden you'll run into that person and go, this is what I really want it to do. And you're like, oh, you would have never got that message. So mm-hmm. in, there are cases that you do actually get to get a more fresh view of what someone's really asking for. Right. So you, you, brought, you brought up that first bank job. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's, it's always that first job when you're in the industry where you're, you're going for that teaches you the most, most. Is there anything from that job that you learned that, that you can still rely on today for current problems? Like, yeah, I, no, maybe not so much you know, technology because technology changes so fast, but um, you know, whether it be how to s- solve problems or whatever else, is there anything that you learned from that job that you s- still hark back to to, to this day? I think probably one of the coolest things about that job, because we were a small regional bank, I got to do everything from jumpers to programming routing in the phone system. And I think that just having that breadth for me and having some freedom to be able to go in, look through documentation, solve issues and my own problems really Mm -hmm. enabled me to move forward later on in my career and uh, continue to build on each one of those steps. Awesome. And so I, I did some research on you. And, uh-oh. and yeah, uh-oh. you Googled yeah, me. I huh? did Google. <laughs> the, I Googled you. And so, and, and, you, and you say that you've replaced multiple legacy systems. Um, so, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned during those deployments? Because they seem like a huge undertaking. So, can you explain what you did and what you learned from that? Sure. You know, I've been pretty fortunate in my career. I I feel that numerous places that I've worked, I've been able to swap out phone systems. And so some people work at some place and a lot of these legacy systems ran for 20, 30 years. And so Mm -hmm. you maybe never changed them out in your career or maybe it was once. Um, There was one in particular that I was at a healthcare company and we went from an old TDM style system all the way to H323 IP full in across our wide area networks. Um, And you know, and that one kind of really just 
opened up the, uh, the, the idea of QoS and how that really started uh, taking telephony into the data networks, how to troubleshoot those, and uh, you know, Wireshark was your friend at that point. Probably the biggest lesson we learned there was, you know, where are those headers and when they show up in the data networks? Because uh, you know, a vendor told you one thing, but it's not always correct. So you know, be able to fact check, you know, what people are telling you. Mm -hmm. uh, where I am now, uh, working at uh, the University of Washington, uh, we operate roughly a little over 30,000 phones. And when I came there uh, about eight years ago, we had three different phone systems. Um, and they were all different, connected together. And so over those eight years that I've been there, we've undertaken uh, really collapsing those down into a single system, upgrading them, uh, and moving them from really a TDM-based system really to full-on SIP phone deployments for uh, more than 50% of those out there. And so uh, taking that step out, saying, hey, this is where we're going and diving in. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of talking about this before, before we started, before we hit the record button, that sometimes you just have to do it just yeah. to, 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 tr to try it and see if it works. And it's always awesome when you... Eureka. <laughs> it it's probably one of the biggest questions that came up at like the IUG, our local chapter meetings and stuff. Well, well why would you go SIP over H323? And it was, there's a fear factor in kind of stepping into new. And I, I think that we're kind of on that cusp now with AI, with cloud services. We have all these things that are new and fresh that are out there. And sometimes they're scary to kind of step into and say, hey, I'm going to be one of the first ones to dive in there and kind of uh, put your neck out on the line a little bit. You know, looking back, um, not doing H323 phones, which was the proprietary protocols, going in with SIP phones, and I was kind of just slowly stacking up that list of benefits that we had going to it. And every time something happened that maybe took out our, our legacy H323 phones but didn't affect the SIP phones, I went, oh, there's another one for yeah. the list. <laughs> and so, um, you know, looking back, on, I'm, I'm really glad that we took that step, you know, and mm -hmm. sometimes it's a step of faith and uh, it does work out. And sometimes you, it does like, all right, we need to pull back a little bit. We need to work with the vendor a little bit more. We need to solve this other problems before we move forward. Um, but, you know, one, having a lab environment is, is crucial. Right. Uh, and also, you know, I, I find for me, I deploy it to myself first. <laughs> Let me find like the high level bugs that, uh, you know, I, I will find just by using the phone or placing test calls around, uh, having good testing methodology out there, you know, building up a test script, um, probably things everyone's probably heard, but actually having it and doing it, you know, it does help you identify a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing too is, you know, it, you know, you kind of mentioned about like the fear and all that type of stuff of being the first one. What I find you know, kind of, you know, entertaining with some of it too is, you know, kind of writing the documentation when it doesn't exist, you know, poking around with it, playing with it, all that type of stuff. And like, not just like, okay, follow like, you know, one step, one, two, three and doing it, but actually like figuring out how it works. You know, that's how we become like subject matter experts and all that stuff. And, in, in a lot of these things. Yeah, really breaking out the nuances is what you're right. talking about is like, well, how does that work just slightly different than this other one? 
Um, and it is actually can it can be a lot of fun right. <laughs> doing that. I'd I say do entertaining. Agree. You know. Yeah. Entertaining, okay, there you go. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Whether it keeps you up at night or uh, is truly fun is, uh, you know, yeah. depending on the project, right? You know you've arrived when you wake up in the middle of the night finding yourself thinking about the problem and thinking like, oh, I got the answer and can't yeah. wait to get to work to go <laughs> try it. Have you, have you, so when you, when you wake up in the middle of the night, have you actually ever gone to, you know, your computer or, your, or whatever, like, to, to write down your thoughts before you lose them? Like... Well, usually for me, that. the 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 that type of eureka moment for me kind of sits, and then it makes me not sleep very well. So then I'll <laughs> usually get up early and just go to the office just get uh, early over. and go try it. Um, and sometimes it's worked, and sometimes it hasn't. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to lose that idea. You don't want to lose that no. that kind of magic because who knows when you'll get it back again. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so one one of your topics um, is dealing with spam and robocalls. And something, something I've, I've found in more like a philosophical sense of the kind of, kind of work this is that you're solving real human problems that everyone deals with. I probably get maybe get three or four a day, right? So whenever I see spam and robocalls, I'm like, I'm tracking, I'm listening yeah. to you. And so um, when you go about doing uh, your work, it's, it's, it's an emotional issue, you know? It makes us mad, right? And so how does that correlate to the work that you're doing um, on the, on the day-to-day? Yeah, I, the whole spam and robocaller, I guess I probably became a lot more passionate about it over the last six months, and it really stemmed from our user community first starting out and actually complaining about it. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, I shamefully, I had my head in the sand, right? Mm-hmm. I just... This stuff was happening, and you kind of knew it was happening, but you didn't really have data or any points to go look at it and say, how is this really affecting people? So we have uh, an email community that got kind of vocal this past summer, Mm. and I realized I kind of felt like we were standing there with our pants down. Because they were complaining about it. They were trying to find solutions through forwarding their phone to Google Voice and back around and doing all this stuff. And it was like, your user shouldn't have to do that. And I also realized we didn't have a quick solution to solve it either. Uh, Short of going out and buying, you know, a product. But for a university our size, that's not inexpensive. And um, And it adds adds a lot of unreliability to the system, too. You know, something like that, it breaks or whatever, does, you know, needs an update, it it, it, it causes impact. Yeah, so that kind of led me to, in in my particular, you know, case, um, leveraging an open source product that I had used for something else and kind of said, you know what, using some of this new technology, using SIP, you know, that really enabled communications between systems uh, in a simpler way to... The, the concept of spam calls isn't that much, right? Mm. You have a phone call, you want to check it on some sort of database that says, do I want to take this call or not? Yeah. And so it was like the concept was so simple, but yet um, we just didn't necessarily have that avenue. So over the next couple months, I was playing around with this open source product and went, you know, if I could just sip trunk that, which is easy, mm-hmm. and then all I need to do is create the database and the logic behind it, which actually turned out to be easier than probably a lot of people would think it would be. And so that's kind of what brought me uh, to wanting to kind of share my experience 
um, my my talk here at uh, Invite Engage really is going to be around showing, you know, telling people about what our user community got vocal about, mm -hmm. um, showing, you know, how, why, and the what of solving this problem for our user community. Right. And really, in the end, actually having some people go, hey, I was getting multiple calls a day. I'm not getting any now. Yeah. Uh, probably one of my biggest lessons learned, figure out the name. Because I called it an app, and then everyone's like, how do I load that on my cell phone? And unfortunately, <laughs> it's not for their cell phone. Yeah. It was for their campus phones. Yeah. If only. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's step number two. Maybe. Right. Make yourself a lot of money developing that one, I guess. I suppose, right? Yeah. Or make the university money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they own me and my ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you know what I'm about. <laughs> the fine well, people of the state of Michigan have made a lot of money off me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's your legacy. It's for the greater good, though. Yeah. 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 Yes. For the greater good, indeed. Um, and you, you kind of bring up a good point about uh, the, the community, community the, chap the chapter community. Um, what would you say to, to someone who's kind of on the peripheral, like, you know, they're, they're seeing a chapter maybe or they're hearing about it. What would you say to them to, to help them take that next step to being a part of the community? I, I find for me the user groups are probably the biggest value for me is going there and being able to talk to people that are running like systems to me and being able to, one, either be a support for them or you know, ask them questions and be able to get the support back. You create these relationships with these people that you work with, um, or not necessarily work with, and you work with across the community. Mm -hmm. And so when I come to events like this, and it's neat because I see them, uh, they'll send me emails away from the community saying, hey, we're having troubles with this, or hey, I know you guys are running the exact same version. Are you seeing this problem in your system? And it, so it gives you that sounding board to really go back to. Um, and if you aren't a part of that community, you don't have that sounding board. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot of value in you not necessarily having to spend hours and hours figuring out something that someone's already solved. And if you would have just said, hey, you know, had that relationship built through the community, said, what are you guys doing for this? Or I'm having that issue. Are you guys? It takes away uh, a lot of the guesswork that you have to do. For sure, for sure. And if, if, say if someone doesn't make your, your talk, right? And something that, um, what would you say are the two biggest things from your talk you want your audience to come away with? Uh, probably for me, if you don't make it to my talk, that's all fine, I get it. There's a <laughs> lot of cool stuff and a lot of cool conversations going on here. But one, don't have your head in the sand over what's happening to your user community. Things are happening. It's irritating to them with the number of phone calls that they're getting. And if you don't address that, it's changing how people want to use the phone. Mm -hmm. um, I have email threads where they're like, I don't ever answer the phone anymore. I don't. And, and it, it's, it's sad <laughs> that we work in this industry, and that's one of their primary communication means in the industry we work with. Mm -hmm. And it's taking that away to where people are hesitant to use it. It's and it's not just that they're not answering the phone, they're not trusting the phone either. Yes. I mean, and that's, you know, that I see is, you know, the, the biggest problem with all this is not only they're not answering, they're not, they, they, they can't trust what they're seeing on it, they can't trust what they're hearing on yep. it. Because mm -hmm. not only, like, even the calls that do come through that might have somebody on there, it might be some person trying to scam them. Yep. You know, and this is becoming such a problem. Yeah. 
And it's not just in phones. You have it in email. You're now getting right. it through all kinds of different means. Um, and so that's probably my biggest takeaway is talk to the community and find out what's actually happening. Because this is happening whether you're big or small. Mm -hmm. uh, it might not be happening on the same magnitude. Um, some of the things that I get to share, you know, during my talk and the number of calls that we've blocked, all those types of things. I mean, the numbers sound huge, but we're also dealing with a bigger volume than a lot of people. So I, I think that, and don't just allow your user community or leave it to your user community to solve. You know, try to be proactive that's, in these means. That's what the carriers did to us. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, and the FCC's, you know, starting to put some threatening words out there that now all of a sudden the carriers are, you know, trying to, you know, come up with a way to uh, authenticate you using your caller ID and to really, but I, to me, it's for the wrong reasons. They're doing it to keep the regulations away from themselves <laughs> when they probably well, should have been doing it from yeah, the Yeah, I mean, they, they should have been addressing this years and years ago. Yeah. And, and honestly, the, the, the stuff that the FCC has put out is a mandate. So they are putting regulations on this now. I think it has to be implemented in a year or something like that. And, and it's good. Time, I but, hope so. But unfortunately, I, I personally think it's just the wrong way that they're doing it. Hmm. They're saying, okay, well, they're, they're making it so people in the United States can't send spam calls, but the rest of the PSTN, we're still going to get these things. Yeah, it, I, ru no rules are only good for those that follow rules. Right, yeah. exactly. Only well, meant to get broken. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <You> <laughs> hope not. No, no, that's what the problem is no. right now is they're broken. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I don't know if you, if you have any metrics over you, but we had one that hit us, and they, they send us 60 calls a second for, for, wow. a, for a one-second interval, and then they, they, they fell back off to the high 40s. Per second, mm. we had a lot of calls. We had one That's where they lot. sent us six thousand uh, calls a minute. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably yeah. Right in there, that's right. a hundred hundred calls a second. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, and because we and we were blocking them, so they weren't chewing up our trunks, but still they were there. Yeah, and we've we've had a lot of conversations around when we block them. It does enable them to turn around and send another phone call a lot quicker than they probably would have had if we not blocked them. Yeah, um, but, but it uses resources then too. It's yeah, it still does. And do you mean the? I found the cool part about SIP and some of my solutions is it's all done in signaling, and that's yeah. kind of alluding to what Nick's saying here. Um, is when you do it in signaling, you're not tying up resources, and you can mm -hmm. handle a very high call load, even though uh, you're might not even have the amount of resources needed to handle that call load. Yeah, and it's when you put a number by that data, like when you actually quant quantify it, like X amount of calls, you realize how big of a problem so when you look is. at the report in system manager you, or session manager you just see it like spike and it yeah. stays high and you're like oh yeah <laughs> our, our worst day was we blocked twenty nine thousand phone calls and for a portion for about in the middle of the afternoon so we had had our you know morning spike and mm -hmm. we're in our afternoon we were at a 75 percent blocking wow so i mean it just kind of tells you like that's the amount of calls that they threw at us uh, within that day twenty six thousand calls came in an hour and a half Wow. That's so insanity. this is what's happening. Yeah. And so you can keep your head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist, but it does. And um, these are those things that I look back and go like, man, I can't believe this is what my user group was complaining about. Right. And I didn't know what's happening. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm glad that they got vocal. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad that they said something and it kind of, you know, spurred me to, you know, try something new. And fortunately this time it, it did work and is working. So, mm -hmm. Well, and it seems that, uh, I mean, that's a 
problem, but you found your your niche. You know, we, there's so many people in this community that have their have their thing, and this is a an important thing to bang the drum about because it's yeah. wasting so much resources and wasting so yeah. much time. So yeah, and I think this is really where some of the industry has started. You know, building up. You have several vendors out there now that are offering these spam call services. You know, it used to be like, oh, well, I got my phone system and I got my voicemail, maybe call reporting, CDR. Well, now alongside of that, you need some sort of spam filtering capability, yeah, whether just, it's purchased or home. You know, yeah, home just like we do with email. Yep. It's no different. Yep. Yep, exactly. So uh, one, one last question. So everyone starts out somewhere, right? That first job at the bank you're talking about. If there's someone out there just starting out, they've just got, gone through school, um, what's the one piece of advice that you would give them to get them started on their career? Oof. Let's see. What's my one piece of advice to give someone starting out? Um, don't be afraid to read documentation. <laughs> uh, it's usually free. <laughs> it is, yeah, and that's, I, I personally, my, my advice would be to start at a smaller organization. Mm -hmm. uh, you might not necessarily have all the resources and freedom, but what I found starting at a small organization, I got to do everything from A to Z, mm -hmm. whereas there was other organizations that you came in and you got stuck doing A, B, and C. Right. And someone else always did the other stuff that you would grow into. So because there was my boss and me handling all the phone systems, I got to mm -hmm. do everything. Yeah. And I think that really did help me move forward. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if you go to a large organization that it, you don't have those opportunities. Um, I think where you're going to gain that is by doing your self-discovery uh, learning new things, mm -hmm. reading documentation. Like I said, that's how I learned how to do, back in the days, world-class routing, right? It was like, my boss said, don't touch that table. And so I started <laughs> reading the documentation on it, and I went back to him, I'm like, I think this is how this all works, right? And yeah. so showing some of that initiative and building your own knowledge base and knowledge pool up will really help. Yeah, at least I could speak for, for myself. Like when I'm able to sample a bunch of different things, you're able to figure out what you're really into, what you want to specialize in. So that, I think that's great advice. Well, it's the end of the road. And, uh, Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, no problem. It was a great conversation. And, uh, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your Engage and your talk goes Definitely. well. And uh, hope to talk to you in the future. Sounds good. Thanks. Hey, no Thanks. problem. Bye. Thanks again to Tyler Preter for the great conversation. Let us know what you think on Twitter at IAUG Matthew, that's me, or IAUG. Thank you for listening and come back next week for another episode of IAUG Insider Podcast.